there's really no feeling like being a regular at your favorite restaurant. You know, you walk in and the staff knows your name. Your server asks you if you'll be getting your usual. It's just priceless, right? Or is it? We're starting to see more and more restaurants experimenting with NFT membership programs where token holders for the price of an NFT can get that VIP treatment. But how do NFTs for restaurants work? And are they gonna change the dining industry forever? Or is it just some sort of fad that we're gonna laugh about in a year or two? To unpack this, I invited Terry Nguyen onto the show. She's a writer, critic, and poet, currently working as a senior staff writer for Dirt, which is a Web3 media company. And before that, she wrote about consumerism, technology, and pop culture for Vox. Excited to talk to her about this. Terry, thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah, hi, thanks for having me. You write a lot about how people purchase things, what they're purchasing, how we sort of navigate the world through our wallets and, um, you know, the way we live our lives through the purchases we make. And you work at Dirt, which is, would it be fair to say it's a crypto-based media company? I think we're sticking with Web3 just because it's a more broad term, but basically interchangeable. Um, I feel like over the past half year or so, I've also had to like prime myself to explain that to most people I meet. Um, but our product is free, so you don't really need crypto or an NFT to read it every day. I'm ha- I have you on here today to talk about NFTs for restaurants, which is seemingly this radical new idea. The idea being that, you know, if you pay the price of whatever NFT, whatever the price is of the NFT that has been did, uh, you know, you will own some sort of stake in the membership program um, that will allow you perks, you know, like reservations, maybe even discounted meals, free meals, you know, access to hard to uh, reserve seats at the restaurant. Um, But before we get into the restaurant aspect of this, I was hoping you, I I think a lot of our listeners are foodies and might not be as deep in the Web3 space. I'm sure some are, but not everyone will be. And I'm wondering if you can sort of walk us through just how NFT and token gated things work generally, if you can kind of explain that. So essentially, when NFTs kind of got on everyone's radar, I guess almost two years ago now, which kind of sounds really crazy. Um, it was rooted in um, art and this notion of ownership. Like how do you own something that is a piece of like digital artwork, um, like a JPEG, for example. I think we are seeing a lot more applications for businesses, kind of like dirt or restaurants in which the NFT itself is used as this sort of like digital token or like a sort of like membership pass, right? And so when um, someone wants access in a very unique way um, for dirt, our NFTs are essentially subscriptions with additional perks. Um, You can buy the NFT and the NFT kind of stands for um, something like an experience that you can get or you can trade for. Um, And I think, you know, I think earlier Coachella tried doing NFT membership passes or lifetime passes. Um, There are more clubs I've noticed, sort of like entertainment venues kind of creating their own passes. Um, I think that's like an easier, more applicable way to think about it rather than kind of have it embedded in this like abstract notion of like owning a JPEG or owning a meme, which is kind of how a lot of people might've first heard about NFTs. Um, But I think what's interesting is that there's now more um, abridged sort of use cases in which it's um, kind of bridging the physical and the digital. Something that I've been thinking about is, is it that different from having like a punch card membership thing at a restaurant, you know, is that, you know, maybe these things aren't as, I think 
calling it an NFT might kind of surprise people and make them think like, you know, it's it's similar to when when people started talking about owning art digitally. There, there was a lot of people like, how would you, how can you own a painting that's not physical? You know, that sort of thing. And I guess now we're seeing sort of something like that, but about like your like, how can you turn being a regular at a restaurant into a digital asset? Exactly. I think um, what's interesting is I sort of cover it from the consumer perspective, but that requires me to be very plugged into kind of the tech aspect as well. And I think when um, like an entrepreneur, someone who launches something, they're very excited about using sort of like new language to describe the experience rather than kind of likening it to something that consumers are already familiar with. Um, because I guess the risk of calling it a punch card reduces the complexity of it um, and makes people think that it's like nothing really different. Either way, I think um, on the Eater web, on the Eater um, piece about this, um, I think calling it a digital punch card is something accurate. But I think what kind of sets that apart is that the goal of um, this loyalty platform called Blackbird is for them to collect consumer data, um, track it more closely, um, and kind of cement it and build it on the blockchain. Um, I am not an engineer, so I like can't explain, <laughs> you know, the backend aspect of that. But what's really interesting to me is sort of um, this move towards tailoring kind of experiences um, based on consumer data, um, moving away from kind of what used to be like broad advertisements and kind of tailoring it to individual tastes. And we're seeing that happening on our individual feeds on like Instagram and TikTok. But I guess now um, more brands kind of want to get into that like personalized um, data pool as well. Yeah, I mean, that's a good point. I guess, you know, as kind of scary as it feels for things to move into the digital realm, maybe one positive of this is just the fact that restaurants and, you know, major D's and, and chefs can actually know who it is they're interacting with and, you know, tailor experiences to their, you know, most loyal customers and be able to say, we know you love this dish and we actually, you know, weren't even planning on providing it this much, but now because we have the, the like digital data, the, the quantifiable sort of visual data of what you like and how, how you'd like to experience this restaurant, I'm able to like provide that for you. I guess the question though is, can you digitize intimacy or does it become, once you do that, does it become more transactional? And is, is that less the experience that, you know, I guess in the old days, like people, people have done this forever, right? Like it's, it's, yeah. it's always been hard to get a reservation at a restaurant. Um, I think things did get more intense during the pandemic and since the pandemic started and, um, you know, but you know, if you watch movies from like the 80s or 90s, like there's always like a scene of some rich guy trying to flex on his date by like handing the major D a 50 or something. And, you know, in order to get a table right away. And I guess and hostesses and hosts have always been like these really powerful gatekeepers at restaurants who can make or break your dining experience. Right. Like decide whether or not you get in kind of like bouncers. Um, but yeah. for food, I, I definitely think that the interpersonal intimacy gets lost or an aspect of that is sacrificed for whether or not you are tapped into this new app or if you have money, essentially, to like buy this NFT. A couple of months ago, I wrote about a, another startup called Front of House, which also partnered with other New York restaurants 
to um, create sort of like membership NFTs, which um, allowed people to get seating in restaurants like, you know, Dame or like Wild Air Emmets, which famously kind of book out every single night. Um, so that does, you know, call into question like how exclusivity works. And I think we have to like reimagine our relationship to what's exclusive and what's not. It used to be like, it's a friend of a friend or you know someone. And I think specifically right now in the 2020s, I think we're really nostalgic for that like Studio 54 era in which it's like everyone who's in the know gets invited. Um, but now like it seems like if you're on TikTok or if you scroll around a lot on certain corners of the internet, you kind of feel like you're in the know as well. Um, so things definitely, I agree, feel more um, transactional. Um, I just don't, I. I think the human element is never really going to go away. Um, that's kind of like my hopeful instinct, um, but it definitely is very much like I am not going to pay a thousand dollars just so I can get a membership NFT to eat at Dame, which is a West Village restaurant that I still really want to go to. <laughs> um, but I don't want to like, you know, wait in line for a 10 PM dining slot. Yeah. I mean, Dame is great by the way, for those listeners in New York, uh, great kind of like neo fish and chips dining restaurant in the west village but i mean yeah like getting a table a day might take three weeks you might have to you know schedule it three weeks out but if you use an app like front of house uh, which you've written about you can kind of skip the line yeah there was like a limited um number of membership nfts available and um i think for participation like every it might have been like every night or like every week um they would use the platform to notify people when a table opens up um, or they reserve kind of space or table or two within the restaurant for those like membership holders. There is a nostalgia right now for like the Studio 54 era, the the era of like, if you know, you know, and it seems like these days everyone knows about mm -hmm. everything and there's constant fear, you know, um, you write a lot about digital culture, like there's constant sort of frustration when you like something and you think that you know it's it's precious to you and your friends but then you go on tiktok and it's actually like some influencer or you know tiktoker has made a whole video about how you need to know about this place that no one knows about and then sort of it in theory ruins the experience for those who have been enjoying it right but it seems to be like that has always been the trend or the way the cycle of life for all things whether it's um you know a, a cool like hole in the wall restaurant that has like ends up having lines down the block because you know Jonathan Gold or Anthony Bourdain you know put it on the map or whatever you know um but it does feel I guess like that has been accelerated like there's it happens a lot faster now because we have so many modes of communication and people are also really really eager to make content and so there's kind of like the content making of everything you do and everything you love has to be then posted and shared with everyone, um, which is, is in some ways great, but I guess maybe leads to this frustration and this kind of fueling this desire to go back to like a more gatekept world, which is, you know, I don't know how I feel about that because sometimes I do want exclusivity, but also gatekeeping is bad. I, I agree. I think it's reached a point in which products and places can go viral overnight and it creates a problem for, I think the supply chain, this is really big during COVID. Um, but I also feel like the regularity of certain spots. Um, I, 
I, I don't know if that exists anymore um, or maybe it's just like very regional. Um, like for me, I, this like kind of what you were mentioning brought to mind this notion that people now, influencers or just even regular people now um, are tasked with being like curators. I, I recently saw a tweet that said that the era of likes and hearts are kind of over, but now platforms are moving towards something that's like a collection model or a curatorial model, um, which is very much in line of Web3 and NFTs and displaying what you're collecting. But I think the mindset is kind of similar to like, you see it with the popularity of certain meme pages in which um, content creators or sort of people who are scavenging the internet and screenshotting things they find funny and uploading it and people following that account because they like this person's taste. Um, I think more and more, um, and I think Dirk kind of believes in this ethos that more people are gonna gravitate towards um, sort of tastemakers or you know individuals with um, good or distinct um, tastes or curators um, just because there's so much stuff online. Um, and I already think that that's happening and even on TikTok, like just alone in New York with, you know, in Greenpoint or in the East Village, I've noticed a lot of people, like you said, like they want to record a meal that they're having or create like a guide as to like the perfect day to spend, you know, in Greenpoint. I think those guides are becoming just like more and more popular and useful for people. I guess I wonder, I, I think with, with food, we tend to want to believe that restaurants aren't businesses, like they're not capitalist institutions and i mean the truth is restaurants since their inception have been about flaunting your wealth about you know i mean restaurants like back in the day like when they first first started the first ideas of a restaurant mm -hmm. were places where the elite would go to sort of be seen eating like to be to like be able to flaunt that they were having these like lavish meals and they were having them made for them and you know it's a very public display of your wealth to be eating at a restaurant. And I think now nowadays we've we've come so far from that that it's easy to forget those origins or not even obviously not know about those origins. But in a way, like that is what the restaurant industry is all about, right? Like restaurants want you to eat at their restaurant and feel like you're that bitch for eating at that restaurant. And you want to feel like, you know, when I'm eating on the patio at Lucien on a Wednesday afternoon, like I look sexy and cool and you know whatever it is that's that's bringing you to dine there and i think people want to feel you know we have this relationship with food where it's like we want to feel like it's not a capitalist thing um and often it's not right like often it is this beautiful thing that you can do at home with your with your friends and community but it's always going to be a part of a capitalist framework like food systems as they exist today exist in this capitalist system that we're a part of and so it's kind of, you know you can pretend all you want that that the way you eat isn't connected to money and the economy but unless you're truly truly like on your own sort of commune growing everything and only cooking what you grow and you know unless that's the case you are sort of participating in this uh in this food economy right and i think that's kind of what frustrates people about this this nftization of of a restaurant is like don't take restaurants from us from from us into into capital like they're not supposed to be that they're supposed to be special gems that are free of that thing but they never really were especially in new york it's crazy to me i would just walk on the street on a wednesday night and see so many people 
fully whining and dining, especially now that the weather is warm. It seems like I, I always joke that I could eat out every night and not eat my way through the city. It seems fully impossible. Uh, and it seems like an endeavor that like a lot of people partake in, especially as like a report just came out that most New York City residents can't really afford to live in the city anymore. And it does feel like this dining culture that has accelerated post-COVID, maybe because people are excited to eat out again, um, or more people with more income have simply moved into the city um, and rents have gone up. I think there's a lot of disposable income and that has created this kind of crazy bubble and this fervor around like where to dine. Like just, I, I follow Alex Delaney. It's kind of like cringe to say, <laughs> uh, I mean, he's, he's a cool tastemaker. Like he's um, I really love his recommendations and I found really great restaurants based on his Instagram, but it feels like I am one of many people who follow Alex Delaney on Instagram and go to the spots that he recommends. And you're just kind of aware of being like another person in a crowd, right? Um, and I think to your point about people being upset or frustrated that now NFTs are coming for restaurants, um, I think it's it's hard for consumers who are paying I don't know, $20, 20 plus for a plate of pasta to realize that the margins in this industry are still extremely like thin and restaurants close all the time. Like, especially restaurants that even seem to do really well. Um, it's very inexplicable to someone who like, doesn't understand the finances of the industry. Um, and so I think the NFT slash membership move might be an attempt to like solve that by offering restaurants more data, but I'm not sure if that's like a surefire like solution. Um, just because in New York, it seems very common for restaurants to open and close over the course of like a year or two. I, I think I actually recently learned that like there are investors in restaurants, which is kind of crazy to me, but it makes a lot of sense. Like if you're opening a really new spot and there are like chefs who are like to watch, like how did they afford this like really swanky designer furniture? Like obviously an investor came in and helped them by that. Um, but I feel like that's something that not a lot of people like are really aware of. You know, I think that's a really good point. Like as much as I want to cringe at the idea of a restaurant making a membership model, um, whether or not you, you associate it with web three, I do, I, I suppose I am respectful and supportive of restaurants finding a way to survive because ultimately I, you know, want more restaurants to find sustainable models. And I hope that this means, you know, paying workers in restaurants better and them being able to have fair wages. And if a restaurant is running more smoothly, then maybe, you know, the labor practices there will also be better. What's interesting to me with sort of the Instagram and TikTok phenomenon of dining, an upside to that is that I think I've noticed just way more chefs and pop-ups and it allows more people to make a name for themselves in the restaurant industry without needing to go through sort of the more traditional like climbing the traditional um, ladder rungs kind of working um, at a restaurant and working their way up that ladder they can maybe have like an instagram presence and secure a pop-up and that way i know that's really popular in brooklyn there's a spot near me called o studio that i think has pop-ups pretty much every two weeks or every month, which is pretty crazy. Um, but it's an interesting consideration that now even chefs and um, yeah, even chefs can be sort of 
digital nomads in a way because they're creating content online, they're serving food in person, but they're also just trying to build this brand so that people will come out and support them. Um, so it's a very interesting kind of like freelance model for um, chefs. And it kind of blew my mind when I made that connection. Because um, a couple of weeks ago, I went to this pop-up by this couple I really love called Haas Dac Biet. And they're, um, they do Vietnamese or sort of like a European fusion Vietnamese food. Um, and it was so hard to get a reservation for them. Yeah, I guess it's actually a really good point that because things are moving online, it's like you can be a regular at a restaurant that doesn't even have a static address, right? Like you can be a member and we can interact with each other as if, you know, we are chef and regular. I'm coming into your spot all the time, even if you're at a different restaurant every time I eat at your restaurant, in a sense. Um, I guess that is like the the metaverse right like we're we're in the maybe i'm maybe i'm using these terms way too generally generally <laughs> no that's how vcs use the term you just say it with conviction and then people start picking up on it um but i right. i to, to your point i did um i was thinking of it like there is that digital restaurant notion happening but there's also for physical spaces i think there's this move especially in a post-covid world towards omni-channel retail. So it would be a coffee shop during the day, or it would be an event space at night, or even hosts like, you know, clubbing events. So there, it's multi-purpose. Um, and I think the goal is still retail, essentially. Um, but I, I think about this with something like um, public records um, in Gowanus, they kind of have revamped their space over the past couple of years. And I'm not sure what they do anymore. I'm not sure if they're a restaurant or a coffee shop or a place to go dancing, but um, they, they exist as a brand in my mind of a destination to go to if I want to go and have a very specific time in Brooklyn. Right. Restaurants are just like us. They are models slash DJ slash actor slash writer slash filmmaker slash dancer, multi-hyphenates. Um, and I guess it's all just like us. Restaurant tours need to pay the rent. And so they're like, if I can have this market model that, you know, I am already paying for this space to host people in my restaurant, which is my passion is to feed people. But I already have this space. I might as well put some shelves up and sell some, you know, Zatar salsa and, you know, bespoke nuts. And maybe, you know, I can make a little bit of extra cash that way and pay this very expensive lease because rent is not cheap anywhere in the United States anymore. Yeah, restaurants are in their multi-hyphenate era as well. I can't wait to read that story <laughs> by you soon. Um, Terry, thank you so much for coming on and, and sharing your expertise with everybody. For those who are interested in reading more of your work, where should they find you? Yeah, um, uh, you can read my stories at dirt.fyi. And um, I am also on Twitter at Terry GT Nguyen. Although Twitter is dying, so I'll also plug my Instagram. I'm at Nguyen Terry. Thank you so much, Terry. Good talking yeah, to you. Yeah, thank you. Food Futures is a podcast from Mold Magazine. I'm Ludwig Hurtado. Maddie Dinowitz helped produce this episode. Isabel Ling is Mold's associate editor, and Linya Yuen is Mold's editor in chief. Thank you so much for listening. <laughs>